right. And we are live. We're not actually live though, right? We're just well, the red thing is blinking. We need to do the live show again. Yeah. But there's something about not doing, not doing it live. So, so it's kind of both ways, right? By the way, you're listening to thinking religion. Welcome. Um, I'm Thomas <laughs> Whitley. I'm here with Samuel. We're here um, talking about Thomas's meatball recipe. So, so we kind of do our shows as if we are live, I think, in the way our conversation generally flows, right? Yeah, I mean, there, sometimes we'll I'll about, have to you know, go in and do you know, A number of times post. we'll talk about like, oh, this is breaking you know, news or whatever. Um, but there's also something too about kind of putting the product together, recording it, and then you know, shipping it out to our listeners, as it were. Live to tape. Right. It is, it is live to tape. I guess we can we can give it that. So we can put our live icon on there, but it's just like we recorded it when it was live. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I've always wanted to have like a live stream with chat and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and we've done it some with this show. We've gone back and forth on that. Um, and it's, you know, it's been fun when we've done it. But it also, I think it's a little hard for us to do that too, um, just because we have so much else going on while we're doing the show. Right. To like run everything well, too, right? For you to run like all the production stuff and then, you know, have the chat going and the live stream and everything. Cause I mean, this is, you're producing all of this. We don't have a producer behind us, you know, on the other side of the glass. Right. You've got a caller from Chicago. Uh, yeah, no. And, and I mean, that's, that's what the beauty of podcasting is about. I think it's, you know, one or two people or, or four people or however many people um, just having a conversation and, that being something that's not overly produced, like a serial or this American Life type thing. Those are radio shows, you know, in my mind. Right. That's exa- well, yeah, that's exactly what they are. You know, we've talked about that before, too. Um, that we're, with lots of ads. Yeah. With lots, <laughs> lots and lots of ads. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, it's, I don't know. It's so, I don't know. It's so traditional now. And it's kind of amazing. Like everybody thinks Serial is like, and Serial, like it's a good show. I enjoy listening to it. I mean, I think it's it's a really well done show. Sarah Koenig is, you know, she's got a great voice and, and she does a good job kind of drawing you in. Um, but it's so traditional in its um, production and in its flow, right? So you've got your ads at the top and then you've got um, you know, other ads. And then at the end, you've got ads where it's like, you know, Stay tuned for, you know, what's going to, you know, next time on Serial. But first, you got to watch these ads, just like a TV show, right? You got to watch, you know, at least a a minute or two minutes worth of advertisements before you can see, you know, your your trailer, your teaser for next week's episode. Yeah. And then on the other side, you've got Radio Lab, you know, which is, I think Jed Abramrod actually produced most of the early ones himself. Uh, But it's got this really interesting sort of sound texture to it where it's, you know, lots of blah, 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 you know, beeps right. and all that kind of stuff, um, which is, you know, it was fun the first year. And then now that's, that's been replicated so many times too. And you've got like Gimlet media, you yeah. know, which was NPR people and they were public radio and they broke away and now they're doing their own thing. And they just moved into these brand new shiny offices in Soho. <laughs> and it's like, come on, our show is damn good. You know, but we don't, we don't need shiny offices in, in Soho, but as but I sit here take, at my daughter's desk. an office somewhere, <laughs> right? This, this I have an office. Work. No, I, and I do too, but we would take a joint yeah. office somewhere to do our show if we, you know, happen to live in the same state at some point. Well, I mean, Again, you know, yeah. the, 
Right. And the plan is once the show really starts taking off, we can we can use the jet and we can both fly to like Atlanta or somewhere and, and go tape at the CNN studios. We can just do it on and location. We can, and we can do it, you know, on location at a different location every week. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we could go on tour, like the Bahamas or BVI or yeah. St. John's. When or, we wanted right. to interview somebody, we would just say, "Hey, we'll come out to you." Yeah. Right. And then, hey, we Jerry could, Falwell Jr. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're coming to you. Right. We'll we'll take our we'll take our equipment with us. We'll set our mics up on the table. We'll sit around on the table and we'll have some drinks and we'll have a discussion. Right. I mean, well, so speaking of is, equipment. <laughs> Speaking of equipment, I'm I'm really tempted to sell my uh, my this is ground mod. I know, and this like this my, my tablet. This hurts me. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I am. Yeah. So so I love my mod, and I, Sam and I've been talking about this, and and it's like the more I use it, the more I use it. If that makes sense, right? Kind of the more I'm used to using, the more I want to use it, the more use cases I have for it. Um, it's actually making me use my iPad more. Uh, and not just kind of relying on either my Mac or my iPhone 6 Plus, which is, you know, an iPad mini mini. Um, so I'm using my iPad mini a lot more, uh, particularly you know, during, while I'm teaching, uh, which is nice. So I walk into class with my mod, which has my phone and my iPad and notes and stuff in it. And then the book that we're discussing that day in class or whatever the reading is, you know, maybe it's on my iPad or maybe it's, you know, a, a hard copy. Typically, it's a hard copy that I've got. Um, and I walk in with that and that's it, uh, which makes my, you know, uh, lugging stuff to class so much more enjoyable than having to take a computer and all, you know, all this other stuff. Um, and I tell, and I've told you, I get compliments on it all the time, but there are, there are a few use cases where it doesn't work maybe as you think it should. And one of that, you know, the main one that, that I think you and I have, have come across is that in, depending on how you pack it, uh, it can be too thick uh, in a number of places. And it seems like uh, maybe the center of the mod is designed to hold a lot more where you should be putting things a little higher, a little lower to kind of even out the thickness, right? Yeah, and, and it's that plus it doesn't really hold a whole lot. You know, when you right. look at what, so I had the big one, right? I have the, the full iPad size iPad one, right? Which is pretty large. I mean, it's, you know, it doesn't fit in my little man bag. Um, so when I carry that, I have to carry my man bag and my, you know, um, mod on the outside. So I've, I've started carrying um, like my North Face backpack and I'll throw it in there and it, it's fine in there. You know, but sometimes I want to carry my little diaper bag man purse. Um, so it's it's so large, but then you look at all the space inside, and it's, I mean, it's it's well designed, but it it doesn't reflect that size in terms of what it can hold. And not that I want to cram it full of stuff, um, you know. But I'm I'm looking at the little thing I'm carrying now for my everyday carry stuff, and things like my knife I, I had to put in my pocket. I couldn't put in the mod because. You know, a there wasn't space for it, but b there there wasn't a place to put it really. So I ordered the the EDC uh, insert, and that was just atrocious, like how thick it was. So I actually did the, a rare thing for me and sent that back. Um, and they were they were very nice about it, good customer service on that front. Uh, but when it comes to just the amount of stuff, like even uh, I've got a 
I carry like field notes notebooks. And yeah. last year I bought like their little leather cover thing for their notebooks, which really helps because you, you know, you throw these in your pocket or it's, it's a paper cover. Right. Notebook. So, and, and field notes are durable, but they're still going to get, you know, torn up. If you're using them constantly, you don't have them in something. Yeah. And, and even like right now, you know, I'm writing notes in the show and that kind of thing. And, and it's laying flat and I've got like three pages left. So this is a heavily used one because I use one about every three weeks or a month or so. Um, and the outside would just get all beat to hell if I didn't have it in a cover. And I, yeah, I don't care about the aesthetics of it, but like I've had a few that, you know, when I was out in the field or something like they really do fall apart on you. Uh, so it, it, excellent brand and all that. I'm not saying they're flimsy because they're not. I just use them heavily. So I bought this thing and, and it really helps, but I can't keep the cover on it and put it in my mod because there's no space right. for that. So, so two, two things. One, uh, another thing that you can't do is, uh, at least not with the iPhone 6 Plus, um, there are two places on the mod, on the outside of it and then on the inside, where your phone um, is designed to be able to fit. And an iPhone 6 will fit there, an iPhone 6 Plus will fit there. It's a little snugger, but you know it's, it's good quality leather. It stretches out over time. Um, but you cannot put it in there, even with, with any kind of case. I mean, even the very thin... Uh, really nice leather cases that Apple sells yeah, for that's, phones. It won't. That's what I have. Big. And, <laughs> and right so now to take it off your phone. You know that your whatever eight hundred eight hundred fifty dollar phone. You know I've got the sixty four gigabyte six plus um, has to never be in a case of any kind if you want to carry it in your mod. Um, and that's you know that and, and the six with the thin leather case might fit. I haven't I haven't tried that one out. Um, but, but I, I will say this, one of the things that I like about the mod is that it forces me to not carry a ton. So I kind of have three levels of carry, right? I have, um, I have one where I have my phone in my wallet and that's it. And I've just got a great new, um, for Christmas, uh, my wife got me, uh, the, the just absolutely fantastic thin, uh, slim wallet from Satchel and Page, um, which I'm just absolutely loving. And so it's, it would be that wallet and my phone and, you know, my keys. So that's like my minimal carry. My next level up is my mod, which, you know, I can slide my wallet in there, put my phone in there, put my keys in there. It's also got other cards. It's got, you know, a notebook. It's got my iPad. It's got some papers. It's got, you know, my EDC keychain um, with a little pry bar and, you know, screwdrivers and um, tweezers on there and uh, headphones, charging cords, my tile, Right, all the you know, all this other type stuff, a, a small knife. Um, so that's kind of the next level. But then, more than that, I've got uh, right now. I'm carrying my Briggs and Riley um, backpack, and so it kind of forces me to carry less because I could always put more in there. Right? It's oh, well, I might need you know the cube for charging, or I might need you know this other cord, or, or you know, hey, I might need a, a flash drive anymore. I guess like we, I still have a ton, but I don't use them very very often. But you know, I'm always kind of thinking like. Because I guess it's the Boy Scout in me, right? Be prepared. Like, have everything I might possibly need, even if I haven't used it in a year. And so what the mod kind of forces me to do is that stuff is in my bag. So if I need to carry more stuff, then I pick my bag up and, and take everything with me. But it's kind of an in-between for me because I found an, uh, a lot of situations where I needed more than my phone and my wallet. Um, but I did not want to carry a whole bag. Yeah, and no, so the, I'm, I'm the mod fits that for me, for me really well. 
Yeah, I guess if if it just had a few more loops, like I want to carry chapstick, but I don't want to have to put that in a in my pocket. Or I, I always carry a flashlight regardless. And I've got a little, great little Phoenix, you know, mini EDC flashlight. And I, I was keeping that in the mod, but then I can't put like a pin in that spot. <laughs> you right. know, so it's it's like, okay, do I need my, my pencil by 53, you know, like an iPad stylus, or do I want to put chapstick in there? And I just didn't want to have to keep making you know, constant. Decisions. Yeah. 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 And, and it's like, this, I, I like carrying a screwdriver, you know, the um, mod mini, um, the mod for the uh, iPad mini has beside where you put the iPad in a slot for your stylus, which the iPad air version does not have. It does not. Yeah. Cause it's so much larger and, and there's right. no, so it needs the whole I mean, it would space be huge. for the air. Right. So no, I mean, make I, it another inch or two tall or inch or inch and a half uh, taller, probably or an inch and a quarter yeah. taller to fit a, a slot in there beside the iPad Air for a stylus. Yeah, that's a big, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm at the point now where I don't want to have to carry anything in my pockets. <laughs> um, you know, unless I'm going into right. something where I know, okay, I'm going to need my notebook. Let me throw that in my back pocket. But, you know, like my little Kershaw knife here that I'm you know playing with and trying to cut myself with, um, you know, I, I'll slide into the pocket with a little clip, but... I'm carrying this little um, expedition case and I'll, I'll put a picture in the show notes and it's great. I've got my space pen, my flashlight, my lip balm, chapstick stuff. Uh, uh, one of those Stanley like pen screwdrivers, which are so useful and I use it every single day. My spork, uh, an extra AAA battery because my flashlight runs on triple A's, a lighter and my cords and a couple band-aids and I'm good. I love it. But I, I do miss the mod because it looks so damn sexy. <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's the thing, right? Is it's you know you go into a meeting, you put down the table, and you, you mean business. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. So if if you like that kind of talk, Thomas, what should we create a whole another podcast for that? I don't know. We've been going back and forth on this. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little too late now, right? It is too late now. Yeah, we're kind of we're kind of in it now. Yeah. So we're we're creating a podcast that we've called Nota Techne. And if you're a nerd, you, you might get the reference. And most of our listeners are nerds. Uh, so uh, Noda Techne. And basically, this is kind of our labor of love. So we, we could spend a whole two-hour show just talking about our EDCs or how we're using Evernote or um, you know our, our favorite pens of the week or something like that. Um, so when we say Techne, we mean not just you know, computer technology, but also like this type of stuff, like gear and things that we carry to get things done. Um, so just thinking about technology as it applies to uh, our lives in terms of what I do, which is run a marketing agency or what Thomas does in, in the academy and his research and his writing and his philosophizing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's going to be kind of a blog slash podcast. So in my mind, uh, so we're going to keep it kind of going during the week with posts and ideas and that sort of thing. Maybe have some guest posts along the way. Some some other people come in besides the two of us and uh, and give their thoughts. Maybe have them on the show. But yeah, so if you enjoy that talk, which I know lots of you do, we get lots of good comments about that. Uh, if you enjoyed that kind of thing, uh, that'll be something that you'll start seeing on on uh, on the internet. if you follow us here in the next couple of weeks, I think yeah. our next show is next week, right? Yeah, I th- yeah, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna uh, try to get a debut out next week. So you know, be watching for that. Um, 
But and it's funny because uh, I know when we used to do the live show, for, uh, one of the reasons people liked it was because we literally spend the first 30 minutes kind of doing warm up and, you know, right. while I'm setting up everything, but we're talking about something to do with tech, you know, whether it's, you know, oh gosh, I can't believe, you know, I ordered the, the this is ground riff for Mariana two weeks yeah, ago. And, up yet. You know, <laughs> so I've we're going to talk, an email we're gonna talk about that. So we're going to talk about like fulfillment. We we have some really great things planned, I think, but you know, yeah, fulfillment yeah. issues as they relate to, to tech and, and some other things and, you know, um, concepts of rethinking desktops and, um, questions about, you know, driverless cars and, and all of this. So we've got some really good things, I think, planned um, for that. And, you know, it's and then there's also this other aspect of it, which I think will um, kind of flow throughout all of it is how we do what we do and, and then how other people do what they do, which I think is always kind of fascinating. And is, you know, if you listen to the show much, you hear Sam and I pretty constantly talking about always reevaluating our system. Right. Whether it's our carry, whether it's our everyday carry, whether it's our, you know, how we take notes digitally or physically or whatever, you know, kind of always reevaluating to see, you know, what might work a little bit better in this use case or what might work a little bit better in a different scenario. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I will say, Thomas, just to close this out, the Maxpedition case is about 20 or 25 bucks. Right. And, it's, and that's a big difference. Right. <laughs> It's not two hundred and eighty dollars or three hundred dollars or whatever I paid for that thing. For the mod tablet too. Well, and the Air is a little bit more than the Mini too. Yeah, I think the Mini yeah, is three hundred bucks. So. Yeah, so it was like three fifty yeah. um, with shipping. I I wonder if I could sell it on eBay or if anyone wants it and you're listening, shoot me a message and uh, we'll we'll negotiate Donald Trump style. Yeah, yeah. We we've seen speaking some, of some on eBay. So yeah, we've seen some on eBay. So that that could be yeah a, yeah to go and. They tend to go for pretty high, and also I have I have the the roll the bandito roll bandito roll yeah I got to figure out what to do with that because that's You're just sitting there now anymore, I guess. yeah yeah because I got this thing um, and actually I had on my Amazon wish list so my parents just gave us our Christmas gifts last week because I don't know Santa Claus got to Mullins late or something or Amazon did and uh, one of the things my dad got me was another one of these Maxpedition cases uh, so oh, I was nice. like okay well. Let me think about that. So I, I made like a cool med kit with it. And I'll, I'll share that next week on the show, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's, it's awesome. Because if you're, you know, if you got little kids or if you got, you got your dogs, you got your, your woman in the house, you know, you, you got to make sure you take care of them. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, ugh, that's going to get me in trouble. Hopefully Mariana doesn't listen to this. I know she doesn't listen to this show. All right. So yeah, I mean, right. That's, so what, you know, that's how all, all, uh, all good partners are. They don't listen to your shows and they don't read what you write. So that's, exactly. that's probably how, how we both are able to maintain healthy marriages. Totally. So speaking of transitions um, and, and reexamining what you do, Harvard had an interesting uh, sort of announcement this week. It was an announcement or kind of a press release. Uh, according to boston.com, they are urging uh, college applicants or, or people applying to Harvard, high school students, uh, to really think about how they are showing their their worth in different ways. So it's not basically don't worry about the SATs as much. Don't worry about your 5.0s and taking, you know, 20 AP classes. What you need to do is show that you contribute to society in some way, uh, whether you're rich or poor or white or black or Hispanic or European or, you know, whatever, um, which is really interesting. It's something I know you've, 
talked about a lot and we've seen coming, but I will just say before I let you talk, before you start talking, uh, when I was, when I was helping out with admissions, um, committee stuff for Yale, uh, in, in Western North Carolina, you know, we would interview high school juniors who were interested in, in applying to, to Yale or Ivy league stuff and just kind of coaching them on, on how to make their application better or things to do or things to look out for, or, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, it was, it was an official program. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed taking part in that. But one of the things, even at the time, and this was five, six years ago when I first started doing that, one of the things that Yale um, was already putting out there was de-emphasize testing and de-emphasize the SAT and the ACT and, you know, just that culture of test scores and, and really try to get uh, applicants to sort of show off what they've built or what they've done or, or how they've contributed or how they hope to contribute in some way, not just, oh, well, I took, you know, six AP classes my sophomore year, so I can graduate high school two years early and, you know, become a junior when I get into Yale, that kind of thing. So, what, I mean, what do you think? Is that is that a good thing that uh, Harvard's so, pushing for this? I think it's a good thing. I think um, we're going to actually have to see this reflected in admissions. Um, and not just, you know, statements put out or press releases. Um, and I think it takes Harvard and Yale and schools like that to make this change before and, and to implement this change for a number of years before other institutions, I think, will begin to feel like they can make the change. Um, because Harvard and Yale uh, have the kind of cultural cachet to do that. Um, one of the things I like about what Harvard is saying is that they are trying to discourage students from just being involved in every kind of thing because it's going to look good, you know, on their CV, so to speak, you know, another line on their CV. I was German club president and I was French club president and I was, you know, pig Latin club president and whatever. Um, but actually getting involved in things that they're, that they can actually make a difference. Things are actually interested in. Uh, so not just doing things for the sake of doing things because it's going to help you in your admissions. Um, and then also um, allowing people to stress or to explain how maybe they weren't involved in typical uh, extracurricular activities because of, you know, like sports or, you know, Kiwanis or Boy Scouts or going to the Red Cross or whatever. Um, but maybe because they, you know, come from a low income family and they've been working and helping their family out, or maybe they've been taking care of their younger siblings or taking care of a, a sick sibling. Um, and I think Harvard recognizes, at least in what they're saying anyway, that this is actually a lot of times doing more to prepare young people for the real world than the hundred extracurricular activities that the upper middle class students get to be involved in. Um, so I think that's great. Uh, but I think that Harvard could push this uh, further, and I'd like to see it push further. And I know you would, as a, as a, you know, you spent a number of years as a teacher. Um, and if we're really going to de-emphasize testing, and we're going to emphasize kind of the whole person, then let's also de-emphasize testing in our classrooms. Um, and and if Harvard really wants to say um, the SAT and the ACT aren't important, then maybe they just stop using that at all, right? And and I know that. They're probably not going to do that because I understand you get thousands of applicants and you have to have some way to distinguish between applicants that you think all look the same. 
I understand there's di- there's difficulty in that, but you also have entire offices that are staffed. I mean, different sizes at different schools, but certainly Harvard and Yale do not have small admissions offices that are staffed with people doing this full time. I think that that you can afford to do a little bit more than draw an you know an imaginary line at a certain number and say, well, if you don't have this number, then you know you're probably not you know, Harvard material or whatever. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you bring up the admissions uh, variable or, or component and all of that. You know, it's it's great for MIT or Harvard or Stanford to say, you know, we our job is to take the billions of dollars we have in our endowments and help educate the populace, whether that's through online courses or, you know, Yale puts out a lot of their stuff on YouTube. Right. So, I mean, you can take whole classes, you know, just kind of watching that. And I use that word, that word take very you know, generically. Um, you can observe. I, I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of online learning as we've talked about and MOOCs and that kind of thing. And I, I'm not an elitist, but I don't think college is for everyone. And, you know, some of the issues I have with, with politicians is when we start throwing that into the equation and saying everyone deserves to get to a four-year school. Right. Uh, what part of the problem is, is this idea? I mean, we're obviously having a discussion just the other evening. Um, part of the, I think the fundament, one of the fundamental problems we have with our higher education system right now is that so many people, particularly people in positions to make decisions about it and how much funding it's going to get or not going to get, particularly at the state level right, for state universities, is this idea that college equals job training, which is just, I mean, no data bears that out. Besides the fact of you know whatever you think a college should be, even if you think college should be job training, it it's not actually been doing that really ever. It's not. I, like, I mean, I, I really, yeah, yeah. And, and and the type of college experience that you get if you go to college for job training is markedly different than the type of college experience you get if you go to college, say like the Vanderbilts or the Carnegies or the Roosevelts did. You know, where you're going and you're learning. And I'm about, I'm actually all for. Uh, more trade schools and things of that nature. Yeah, sure, um, sure. I think I think we as a society could really benefit from that. And I think we're pushing a lot of people into traditional four-year programs that just don't need to go, right? They they know what they want to do. They could go learn how to do that and make more than, you know, I could ever make as a professor doing something that you know, we as society kind of look down on, you know, as a plumber or something like that. But they're doing great work that we kind of need all the time, right? And oftentimes making good money. So yeah, I always tell my daughter to give me a plumber. Like, right. yeah, um, we don't need more coders, honestly. I mean, coding is great, but no, there are lots of people of, in the I'm, world. I'm, I'm glad that we've moved beyond this. Uh, everybody must learn how to code. Uh, but Obama, I mean, State of the Union, he was still still talking about that. Now coding was just. Yeah, I have a lot of issues, uh, <laughs> you know, thoughts about higher ed. I think this is really good. The move that Harvard is making. But I, I want to see how it actually ends up working out and see if it actually changes their admissions profile. That's when, that's when we'll know if it's changed. And if it does that, then you'll begin to see it um, move to other colleges and universities throughout the country. I wonder if the issue is that, that most admissions, uh, again, I'm speaking generically, um, most admissions programs are headed up or either staffed by people who weren't teachers or professors or academics or, right. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of <laughs> places I've been and the admissions offices are, are typically, you know, people from outside of the academic world who 
are very good at marketing or communication or whatever, and they do a great job at what they do, but perhaps they're not looking at it from the point of view of, you know, this kind of wider philosophical idea right. or, or conversation. And, and I think that that plays out in, in how that process is, has been um, determined, if you will. But anyway, that's interesting. I hadn't yeah. thought about that with the admissions folks. We'll so. see what happens. It's, um, yeah. I'm not yeah. getting my hopes up or anything. <laughs> right. Well, you know, speaking of getting your hopes up, what about, uh, what about Trump this week? This is, um, in our show notes here, I'm, I'm looking at our show notes. They're, they're just filled with <laughs> links because it has been just a bad poop crazy week, uh, in the presidential race. And, well, so, the, so first we have to have a reading uh, from two Corinthians. <laughs> uh, my favorite Corinthians since one Corinthians. So this was this is great. So Who says that? Um, <laughs> uh, Donald Trump spoke at Liberty University, uh, the flagship evangelical, uh, the largest evangelical university in the world because they have, I don't know, like however hundreds of thousands of online students. Um and, you know, Jerry Falwell's university, his son now runs it. Uh, he spoke there. It was it was just a mess. Uh, but he, he said instead of second Corinthians, which is the you know colloquial way that that this book of the Bible is typically referred to. He said two Corinthians, because if you look on your Bible, it has the number two and then it has Corinthians. Um, and apparently, I mean, not apparently, certainly uh, students in um the convocation, not convocation or whatever they were in, uh, chapel, um, laughed at him like out loud, which was kind of great, honestly. Um, and then he kind of did this whole like, well, you know, my mother's Scottish and, you know, in Scotland, they say two Corinthians. Um, but it's kind of great with this, this like cultural literacy that Trump clearly doesn't have with evangelicalism and doesn't really, I mean, up until this hasn't really even tried to have, right? Uh, well, he's I mean, like, well, I've got my Bible. I, I like my Bible a lot, but um, the Bible is a great gonna, book. I mean, it's, I, you know, it's probably your, my favorite book. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's it's it, it's even better than the art of the deal. Right. right. Um, All right. But th but then he'll say, um, uh, well, what's your what's your favorite verse? And he'll say, well, no, I, that, that's really personal. That's really personal. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. Right. So it's it's clear to everybody watching. Like he doesn't he doesn't have a really deep knowledge of the Bible. Um, I don't think that's necessary to be the president by any means, though. I think for a hundred other reasons, Donald Trump should not be the president. Um, but it's what's also kind of fascinating is evangelicals just seem to really not care. Now it's also been great to watch Russell Moore, right? Kind of like he's live tweeting anti-Trump stuff and, you know, writing op-eds about why, you know, evangelicals should not be voting for Donald Trump. Um, Has he come out for Cruz or is he, I haven't seen him endorse anybody, but it's, I mean, that's the only person I can imagine him endorsing at this Which point. It's, it's crazy to me because it, there's, I mean, the, the National Review made big waves last night. I, I was working very late into the night. And yeah, I, I read happened it last to be, night uh, too. <laughs> yeah, I happened to look over at Twitter at one point and saw this explosion around midnight uh, about the National Review article where, uh, was it a dozen or so leading conservative thinkers, you know, Influential people, not just bloggers, or you know, I, I, I'm using that pejorative. You know how people say, "Oh, well, he's Glenn, a blogger." Glenn Beck was on there, and some others. Yeah, George Will, you know, like yeah, 
you know, deep thinkers. Um, and uh, they, they were saying that, uh, you know, maybe Trump isn't the right thing for uh, conservatives at this point, And maybe we should look to someone else. Um, and uh, there's a real tension between kind of <laughs> that side of the party, kind of your, your, I guess, traditional conservative, you know, Reagan-esque Whig party almost. And then you've got this know nothing Tea Party, um, know nothing party being, you know, historical party that right. rejected Catholic immigration and, and was very nativist uh, back in the 1800s, late 1800s and, and mid 1800s. Uh, and, and every now and then it, it sort of pops up. So we had the John Birch Society back in the 30s. Um, and now we have this kind of reimagining of, of all of that combined with the evangelical thing, combined with this Tea Party movement. So you've got this really interesting kind of bipolar uh, process going on. And it's very late in the season uh, for this to be happening. You know, I, I really thought this was all going to get smoothed over in January, not going into February and March. But, right. you know, the New York Times had a great piece this week about uh, some insider talk from within the Republican Party where, you know, leading insiders were saying we feel more comfortable letting Trump get the nomination and, you know, burning out uh, this fall and, and, you know, kind of throwing himself on a sword rather than someone like Cruz getting the nomination and then um, having a, a bigger leadership role in the party and possibly being back up in, in the year 2020. Uh, so I, I think, yeah. you know, that tension is, is really going to be interesting to see how it plays out as we get closer and closer to the convention. Because Trump now is, is back up with Cruz in Iowa uh, on, the, on the recent polling numbers. And that's that's utterly fascinating because I, I thought Cruz had that by a mile at this point. It kind of seemed like it, yeah. And so and so now, even if right, even if Cruz wins Iowa, which he should because of you know the historically how the evangelical vote kind of um, you know uh, uh, tells you how the Iowa caucus is going to go. I mean, if he wins Iowa now, it's not going to look like a victory. It's going to look like he squeezed out a win that he should have won anyway, you know. Um, and then you've got New Hampshire, you've got South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. And then you you have like the National Review coming out and this idea of, oh, we're all going to come out against Trump. But like there's no money being spent against Trump hardly. So it's it's a lot of and I think I mean, bringing up kind of some of the background discussions is important here because I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, from the establishment of, well, we don't, you know, we got to get rid of Trump and, and all this stuff. But I think that's all it is. It's talk because they, they want to be seen saying that, but they're not putting the money where their mouth is. They're not actually trying to get rid of Trump. I don't think. And I, and I think that's, that's obvious. And, and it, you know, says, you know, goes with what you're saying about the idea of let Trump have to be the nominee. He's not going to win the election most likely. And that's actually better for the party in the long run, or it does less damage to the party in the long run than a Cruz presidency. Yeah, I, I think that's that's something that insiders are, are really wringing their hands out. I mean, here in South Carolina, uh, some leading Republicans had kind of a closed door meeting uh, in the upstate last well, two weeks ago to discuss this. And, uh, you know, there's been lots of fun leaks that came out of that. But, uh, you know, it's sort of well, do we get behind Trump or do we vote for for Hillary? <laughs> you know? right. um, or do we vote at all or just stay home? Uh, but the the party has put itself in such a 
a precarious situation by playing into the entertainment element of politics. You know, there's a reason that all of the Republican debates are on cable channels uh, where they get much more money from those cable channels through ad revenue than they would if they put it on PBS like the Democrats are doing. Not that the Democrats are any better at their debate schedules this <laughs> this year because oh, right. it's no, heavily favored towards Clinton and uh, trying to stem the, the burn tide. Um, but I, I think the current leadership of the Republican National Committee has overstepped a little and or not a little, but they've overstepped. And at first, you know, great, we've got Trump and he's crazy. And then we've got, you know, uh, Ben Carson and, and he's Ben Carson and people like Cruz. And then we've got Chris Christie and, you know, these kind of big all stars in the Republican Party. And it's made for one heck of a show. But now it's time to get serious and Jeb's nowhere to be seen. <laughs> so right. it's like, oh, gosh, we we played into the carnival atmosphere a little too much. And now people really bought it because of Twitter. Um, so, yeah, I, well, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's they right. They, they built the monster and now they're trying to put the monster back in the bag and they're not able to. Yeah. And they were able to do that in 2008 with, with the Tea Party. Right. So the, right. the Tea Party had this possibility back then. But again, I think it was because of social media uh, and you know, going for the money that the Republican Party now has to sort of really uh, deal with, with the chickens coming home or the Warhawks coming home, if you will. <laughs> right, but yeah. yeah, so, you know, if, if Trump wins, then we get to bring back Merry Christmas and we get to bring back waterboarding. Um, so, you know, 2017, 2018 is looking really interesting for the United States. If I don't know. Could it, could it be a Sanders-Trump? Uh, I don't know. It could election. be. We've been talking about this. I've had this conversation with some other people too, you know, uh, really savvy political minds. And I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm still not convinced. That's the only race I think Sanders could win in the general election is against Trump. Well, he's tightened it up with with Hillary uh, in Iowa. And that's really interesting uh, as well. Uh, because he was down, what, 12 points last month, and now it's within the margin of error, uh, according to a, a couple of polls this week, uh, you know, as well as... I think, yeah, and I his... think with those, we've got to wait a little bit longer, and we've got to see, you know, polling averages. Yeah, um, right, right. But well, in New Hampshire, he's up, yeah, he's up those. double digits easy. Yeah. Um, but, too, I mean, you know, even if he wins Iowa and New Hampshire, I, I still think Hillary has a firewall in South Carolina. and that That's, that's what people to... said in 2008. Yeah, well. <laughs> and you know, then Obama kind of came out of nowhere. Well, not nowhere, but you know, he, he got onto the national stage, if you will, after that big one in New Hampshire. And you know, with Hillary finishing third in Iowa, uh, that really you know took some wind out of her sails. And the thing is, Iowa is such a strange caucus thing. You know, it's not it's not even a, right. a primary. <laughs> you know, it's right. it's this holdover from a, a, a time long ago. Um, and it's not really representative of, of anything. So we wonder why people like Ted Cruz, who are candidates, spend so much time trying to court the evangelicals. It's it's because your vote count can come down to, you know, five or ten votes, uh, whether you win or you finish in third. Like Rick Santorum in 2008, you know, he won by a couple of votes, basically, because he courted well, and, the evangelicals. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting about Iowa is that it's not really done a good job of picking winners either. So... You know, it's also kind of like maybe you actually don't want to win Iowa. Um, so and I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of air right now around Sanders being up in New Hampshire and 
and all this stuff, and that's great, but you don't win the general election in New Hampshire, right? Oh, yeah, right. Especially if you're the mayor or if you were the governor of Vermont. Right. Um, Senator from Vermont, too, you know, mayor of Canada. And then Senator from Vermont. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, governor, I'm sorry. This is honestly, this is just so much fun to watch. Like that, that's, I find myself constantly just being like, this is fantastic yes maybe the the future of our nation as we know it is at stake but man this yeah. is so much fun to watch Ugh. it's like that scene in the simpsons when homer goes over the bridge and he just throws the match over his uh shoulder and the burn bridge the, the bridge yeah. burns um you know we're i don't know man if, if we get to a broker convention for the republicans it's it's going to get crazy and uh the economy is going to collapse this year. It's 2017. Been saying that for five years now. So I don't know I gotta... about that, man. Man, Jack Lou is pretty confident that like we're okay. <laughs> we did not have the same economic situation that we had, you know, going into 2007, 2008. No, it's even worse because of the equity market and because of things like oil. We oil was strong, energy was strong then. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be bad. Um, it's well, but you know, it's okay. Everybody that's at Davos right now is, will save us. I wonder what they're saying about Trump. I, I can't wait to see the reports from that. Yeah. What do the elites? What do the uh, the Bilderberg say about <laughs> about Donald Trump? All right. So, you want to do one more or anything else you got? I think we need one more. Do you know that scene from Ocean's Eleven? All right, we'll get one more. You know, I need to go back and watch that. It's a good, not the I remember original it being one, a good, but, but the, yeah. you know, the, the remake with uh, Clooney and uh, Damon and um, Pitt and, uh, oh, what's, what's my guy's name? Um, I always got the British accent in there. Uh, Don Cheadle. Man, I love Don Cheadle. Uh, it's really, it's a really good movie. I need to go back and rewatch it again too, but it's a, it's a movie I like. I like that one a lot. So, anyway, um, yeah, you know, that scene in there, the scene in the bar. It's like, you think we need one more? And he doesn't say anything. He says, okay, we'll get one more. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, I'll go back and watch it. Um, uh, especially if I get snowed in here. We're having snowpocalypse in right, the Carolinas. Yeah. So. It's uh, it's 60 and sunny down here in North Florida. <laughs> Jesus. So. It's 34 and raining here. Yeah. Um, Asheville's got seven to eight inches of snow already, and the bad stuff's not even here yet. So I was supposed to be there uh, today, so glad I'm down here in global warming Columbia. Uh, speaking of 2015 was the warmest year on record, according to the New York times. And Again, right after 2014 was the warmest year on record to that point. <laughs> I think what, what, uh, God on Twitter said, 2015 was the warmest year on bastard or on record. You stupid bastards. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, right. So I don't know. Superstorms in the winter. Yes, it's happened before, but it's happening every year now. Yeah. Getting a little strange. What, and one, other one of the, we, yeah, go I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead. You say one other thing we should mention, you can do that. And then I've got one more thing to mention. Well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, and, and president Obama said, uh, famously in the state of the union that, that conflicts like Syria were, um, you know, sort of partly due, uh, or partly, uh, because of global warming, uh, or climate change. And, um, there's a, a article in, in American magazine or American magazine, I'm, I'm sorry, which is a Catholic publication uh, pointing out, I don't know, it's more of the, the widespread destruction that, that ISIS is causing. But in this case, 
because it's a Catholic magazine, they were focusing on how ISIS is, you know, perhaps targeting uh, Christian uh, archaeological sites. And one of the things they they go into is, is the uh, Christian house at Dora Europus, which if you listen to the show or if you know me, you know, that's that's my baby. And I love Dora. Um, and it, it was, you know, it's sad to read, but it's also good in a way that that, you know, some of that anxiety over over ISIS is you know, being manifest and, and awareness about things and, and places like Dora Europus, which are, I think, very important to the the story of Christianity and the story of world religions, uh, because it's not, you know, we also have a, a painted right. synagogue there, which is right. extremely rare. Um, and then just to close that out, one more link from da- uh, Daily Costs. Is it Daily Coast or Daily Costs? I would say Costs, but yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, I went, I've always wondered right, what yeah, that name came from. I was going to go too, which is the Daily Costs article. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, see, just took the roundabout. Yeah. Uh, da- <laughs> Daily Costs uh, has an article about the, um, the ranchers in Oregon. Some people call them militants. Some people call them hillbillies. Uh, the ranchers in Oregon who have taken over the federal property there, and they evidently built a road a couple of weeks ago uh, so that they could move their trucks around easier or something um, to get their boxes and boxes of dildos that are being delivered. <laughs> and like 55,000 gallons of lube or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Or was it maybe yeah, it was like a 55-gallon drum of it's lube? It's a 55-gallon drum of okay, lube, yeah. 55,000 gallons would be so much better. That's fantastic. Let's send 1,000 um, 55-gallon drums of lube. <laughs> if I had a million dollars... Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, they built this road and part of the, uh, worry is that the land is actually on the side of a native American, um, archeological heritage site. I'm not sure of the tribe, it's but the a daily cost goes into it and, and talks about the, how the ranch the Paiute tribe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do it, but yeah, basically daily cost rips them and says they're kind of like the American ISIS because they're, <laughs> they're desecrating these, these relics. And it, there are videos evidently of them, you know, kind of going through the stuff yeah, that they, they found while they were excavating the road. Right. And so the you know, question is what's different between that and then what ISIS is doing in Palmyra and Dura and, you know, other places, you know, destroying ancient artifacts. Um, not much really. Right. I mean, yeah, you can talk about intentions and stuff, but, if you're in my class this morning, you would know that we cannot talk about intentions. <laughs> That's a losing game. Um, but yeah, and and so this is also your reminder, your apparently now weekly reminder that there are still um, people <laughs> trying to choose my words carefully, right? But that are occupying a, a federal building in Oregon. Um, and nothing's been done about it. I mean, we're going to see what happens. I mean, the Paiute are going to file suit and they are asking for people to be prosecuted. And I think rightfully so. I think the law is clearly on their side here um, for that. But, you know, the federal government is just, yeah, they got to, they, they need to get this under control uh, because what they're doing is they're, they are providing a playbook for other people of how to um, get media for their grievances. Just go in and take over a federal building. Nothing's going to happen. Now, if you happen to be stupid and drive a federal vehicle off-site to a store to pick up some snacks, then they'll arrest you. But as long as you stay where you have in the territory that you're occupying, the federal government's not going to do anything, right? I mean, that that's the message that they're sending out. 
as long as you're well armed and you dress up like a military guy because you didn't go into the military and, and you're, you're white. white. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I I do wonder, you know, how many copycats we're going to get out of this. Because I tell you, man, I, I watch a lot of prepper videos on the YouTubes and, uh, you know, with all my little Maxpedition stuff or whatever. And it's, you know, it's fun to collect the gear and the patches and all that. But there are some people that take this stuff really, really seriously. And, you know, they're they're waiting out the apocalypse. And uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a it's a dangerous right. precedent we're setting. Right. How many more people are going to hear from the Lord that they need to go occupy a federal building like Ammon Bundy did? Right. But and, yeah, and you see what happened with people flipping out over, you know, Jade Helm uh, in Texas in the Southwest. Uh, you know, people thinking that Obama was going to come in and take over Walmarts and, and their guns. Uh, which, you know, mm. but speaking of podcast, I mean, Infowars, if you've never listened to Infowars with uh, Alex Jones, yeah. uh, it's it's a scary, scary underbelly of America. I mean, there's go listen to it. And uh, there, there are big billboards here in Columbia for it as well now. And I, I want our podcast to get to the point where we have big billboards. Um, and, but he sells seats for his affiliate stuff on his sponsors, you know, so like. You can you can get your heirloom tomatoes for when the crap hits the fan, so that you can still provide tomatoes for your family. And uh, yeah, so anyway, that's out there. <laughs> not to end on a depressing a, a note, thing but that exists out there. We are not endorsing it necessarily, but we are all for the free exchange of ideas. <laughs> well, when, when they're done in a civil way, not in a threatening way with ammunition. Um, so go watch Ocean's Eleven. Go listen to Alex Jones. Head over to thinking.fm slash donate. Give us some money. Help us pay the bandwidth. We'll uh, we'll give you a shout out. We might send you some uh, some Star Wars figures if you do that. But not Ray. Not Ray. No, I'm I'm keeping all the Rays. If those you are, can find them, my... right? When you can find them. <laughs> Keep them uh, yeah. Don't get me started. Uh, so yeah, and then you know, get in touch throughout the week. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Whitley. You can find Sam at Sam Harrelson. And you can find more great podcasts at thinking.fm. And go listen to No Day Techne starting next week. It's going to be awesome. <laughs>